This is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Well, hello, gentlemen. Welcome. What's hello. going on? Sailor? How's everybody doing tonight? Well, fantabulous. Freaking cold is what I yeah. am. Same here. Oh my gosh. I'm not oh, ready shit. for this. It's nope. not even Thanksgiving yet. We're like freezing or butts off here i had to get out my super heavy duty winter coat this is nuts not ready i know i had to put a long sleeve shirt on okay. yeah mats <laughs> what, did you get down to the, like the 70s maybe or yeah ooh, maybe? it's so cold it's like 75, 75. Uh, <laughs> you bastard <laughs> i heard someone uh i was on on instagram someone in arizona described as uh they got you know, a little bit of chilly weather. It got down into the 70s, the high 70s. I'm like, oh, poor you. You're chilly weather. That's anyway. Ridiculous. You'd be surprised how people react to it that have lived down here their whole life. They really, think that's, for, that's, they really coming, think that's chilly. This is coming from someone who was from Chicago. Obviously, oh, they've acclimated well that's to different. Arizona. Oh. <laughs> well, I think there's there are people that are just cold all the time. I'm definitely the opposite. I'm always hot wherever I am. I'm sweating. I'm like, God, aren't you guys hot? I'm usually the only one. And I know people that no matter what they're doing, they always have a chill. Even in the middle of summer. Oh, my God. (laughs) I couldn't live like that. Nope. Anyway, aside from the weather, we are here tonight gathered around this microphone to talk about another band. We've been on this trip recently. What do we call it? The bands we've been covering lately. It's a departure for um, us, and I've been loving yeah, it. We are less of the metal, more of the rock. Synth are us, maybe. Mm, no, I don't no, know. no, okay. no. No more I synth jokes. More of the rock. But mm. we'll get into some synth jokes later <laughs> on. I got words <laughs> for you, Matthew. <laughs> Just you wait. Mm. Um. I've been loving what we've been covering lately and the bands that we've been talking about. Um, and I am so excited for this, for tonight's subject and to the, to do the battle next week. And mm-hmm. I'm equally as excited for the following one. When I saw it on the schedule this morning, I forgot that's who we're covering next. And I was like, Ooh! <laughs> one of my favorite bands ever. Um, but the band we're covering tonight I was obsessed with it's such a it's a huge part of my childhood and my teenage years so yeah I'm really excited I can't wait to get into this 
so after that little tease, um, it should be fairly obvious. We are going to be talking about a band, uh, which happens to be also very near and dear to me, the band Journey. Listeners, if there's any of you who don't know who Journey is, just fuck off. You right need to come out from underneath that rock, or just turn on the radio. Just turn outside. on any, yes, yeah. please, any radio station in the world. And I can actually say this because I was in Ecuador in September, and the, we turned on the radio, and there was various stations, and sure enough, we came across a Journey song. So literally around the world unless you're in a primitive tribal area yeah unless you're maybe like a monk in the mountaintops of the himalayas or something like that still think you you probably know who journey is is. and even then that's even a possibility we know that in the philippines journey is very popular oh yeah especially in the past spoiler uh, alert Mm So uh, let's just get right into it, because, again, another band with a super long career, and then there's a crazy twist at the end of their story, and I think we all have a lot to say about it, Um, and I'm super excited to do my whiskey segment. So, Matt, lead us onward. Well, before we get into this journey... Let's uh, talk about what we're all drinking tonight. Uh, Sailor said she has the whiskey segment. But before we get into that, let's go around the horn, talk about what we're drinking right now. So, Ed, I'm going to throw it to you. All right, then. Since we're talking about Journey, Journey is one of those solid bands that I can always go to and I will never be disappointed. Um same here is this bourbon I picked out to drink tonight. It's a very good, solid bourbon that never disappoints. It's my trusty old Elijah Craig small batch. Um, and I just happened to have a store pick here from Riley's Wines of the World in Madison, Wisconsin. I picked up while I was up there. It's Wait, a, say Wisconsin again? Wisconsin. I love it. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a 94 proof and I don't see a, that's, it doesn't say a whole lot on the bottle. It's just a small batch, 94 proof. Um, This used to come in a 12 year age stated, but they dropped that a couple of years ago. And now it's, you know, um, I guess some of the store picks, they, they will give you an age statement on, but this particular one doesn't. So I'm not sure how old the whiskey is inside, but it is still a good solid bourbon. Yes. Is it a single barrel pick or is it just a store pick? Privately selected barrel from stocks of Elijah Craig. So what is this? A barrel pick. Okay. A single barrel pick. Yes. Recently, this question came up. Someone had a bottle of a store pick and it did not say single barrel on it. Really? And yep. And so it turns out, so I asked the guy to go back to the store and ask them, I said, you know, next time you're at the store, just ask, was that a single barrel or did your store choose several barrels and blend them into one store pick, which for volume, because I mean, you might only get 20 cases, you know, out of a barrel, depending on how old it is. Um, 
So it turns out that it is uh, was a gentleman who owns a very, very large, huge, like it's independently owned, but it's a huge liquor store. And his brother owns two more. And they're mm. in very affluent areas. So they actually went down to, um, oh, God, now I'm going to forget where they picked from. doesn't matter. And they went with their cousin and like, you know, it was like a guy's trip and they picked a couple barrels because when they found out how many cases they were going to get, they're like, oh, shit, that doesn't work. So they intended to pick a barrel for each store and then ended up blending them. Okay. They made their own blend. So I just thought, and so that dropped the age statement. Otherwise, they would have had an age statement on each one. Okay. You so know what? If it came from the discussion of the age age statement, that's the only reason I ask. I'm sure that's an that's an anomaly. I've never sure. Quite heard yeah, of that. that I've never heard of that happening before. Yeah. But I suppose if you know what you're doing, you could really come up with something fairly unique by doing that. Absolutely. I mean, and if they're all sitting there together, mm-hmm. picking from various barrels, it's not hard to just start blending them together and going. Yeah. You know, oh well, this one has a little bit more sweetness and woodsiness, and you know, yeah, it would be kind of so. It's your own blend. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever heard of that. Yeah, uncommon, definitely, because I yeah. don't think I've seen that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. How about you, Matt? What you doing? <clears throat> so I figured by the time this show was released, we'd be hovering right around the Thanksgiving holiday. So what do you think of when you think of Thanksgiving? Turkey, right? Of course. So, yeah. Or yeah. tofurkey. Or turducken. You should have just seen, you should see Matt's face right now. Insert <laughs> crickets here. We were on video <laughs> for Matt's face. Like that was fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, I went with the Wild Turkey Kentucky <laughs> Spirit. Yeah. Which is a single barrel. Love that stuff. Now, I have a couple things to say about this, though. So, uh, Wait, can I ask first? Is this yes. the. The old bottling or the new no, bottling? No, it's the new bottle. It's the new bottle. It is okay. not a fancy schmancy looking bottle. Uh, but the newer bottling, um, which I guess retails a little bit more expensive now because I was looking at the old bottle yes, and it seemed to it be like does. $10 cheaper. Yeah. So this is the same exact mash bill as Turkey 101. It's the mm-hmm. same proof as Turkey 101. Mm-hmm. Um, it's twice the price, maybe a little bit more. Uh, this is a single barrel. Supposedly handpicked by Eddie or and Jimmy. Supposedly, it is. It's picked from it's picked from okay. their honey pot. Okay. You know the middle. You know the middles of the middle. Yeah, the middles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where they get that from. Sorry. I always I always take things like that with a grain of salt, but knowing it's turkey, I shouldn't just yeah, because. No, God. As yeah, long as yeah. Jimmy. I mean, after Jimmy's yeah. gone, I don't know. I think Eddie is. I think he's very much like his father, so I would I would definitely trust that. While there, one of that one of those two is still there for sure. Yeah. Jimmy would never put slap something on a label if it wasn't so. He's so against that. Yeah. Maybe sometimes a little too too much so. <laughs> so I find a lot of similarities between this and 101. I ha- I've had a 101 enough times where I don't have to like open a bottle and go right to it versus this. So there are many similarities there. Enough where I could see someone saying, well, why would I spend the extra money on that versus buying maybe two bottles of 101? I could see that. Uh, That's that's not usually something I advocate advocate because like you, Sailor, um, everything is – every 
especially with them, I think uh, they're about consistency. But I think that between their their among their range, they they're about differences among their range. I don't think they want to like duplicate anything and put a higher price tag on it purposely. Right. Everything um, is very deliberate. Very yeah. deliberate. Thank you. That's yes. the word I was looking for, Ed. Yeah. Um, there's enough there for me that's different where I could justify buying this without saying like, well, I can get two one-on-ones for the price. I think there's more vanilla on this. Um, it's a little bit more well-balanced. Uh, it has kind of a little bit more of a bite to it, which I like, you know, I like, so, um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend it, but I could certainly see how somebody would be like, well, I can get the two for one, you know, but fucking great. I mean, everything they touch turns to gold. So, yeah, I've got some, um, actually got three. I, I grabbed them off the shelf when I saw them because they had been discontinued to three of the old bottlings mm-hmm. of like the turkey feather bottles. Yeah. Um, you know, and I picked them up for 40 bucks each. So that's another good thing. I got them before the price hike and they, they are good, but I did have one at a relative's house that I think I want to say it was from like, um, 2007 or something like that was just freaking phenomenal. Mm. It was like one of the best, the best wild Turkey I've ever had, um, was one of the, whatever they were barreling back then was, was just absolutely fantastic. Um, and the big difference between that and what I bought. So yeah, it just goes to show you that if you're buying a single barrel, yeah, you will get variations from year to year. Oh yeah. Um, Correct. Absolutely. So. As a matter of fact, I just did a single barrel tasting last night for Uncle Nearest um, with two very large accounts here. Um, and so we're kind of sharing the barrel. Um, and we had three to pick from. And it was just, you know, it always reminds me how many differences there are, you know, from barrel to barrel. It's such a fun, beautiful thing to experience the 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 differences just are so mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, I just want to say something about age statement real quick. <laughs> Cause it's just perfect timing. So apparently there's this Facebook page out there that's like just all about slamming uncle nearest, which if you don't know, is the brand that I work for. And you know, when someone alerted us to it, I was like, Oh, that's weird. So I went and looked at it and I couldn't help but laugh really, really hard at all of the postings. Whoever started this page, ooh, wow, they really don't like us for some reason. <laughs> I mean, uh, but the the reason was hilarious. So this person would screenshot, you know, like uh, a post from our, you know, our page or a discussion on another Facebook page and, you know, say, oh, well, well, they're calling it a 14-year whiskey. That's funny. They've only been a brand for two years. Again, more lies. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I scrolled to the next one. This is all his complaint. He, she, I should be fair. I have no idea who it is. This is their complaints, but they're big. But then they'll tie it into, so everything. That, that founder of the company is so deceptive. Once again, here they're saying they're doing a blend of 7 to 11-year-olds in their new expression. But how is that possible? They've only been a brand for two years. So I, I, I laughed a lot and then thought, should I post? Should I not post? It's me. I couldn't help myself. 
I need to block myself from these things. So I just posted and I tried to be just really like matter of fact. And I was Mm -hmm. like, hey, dude, like, I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you're from the whiskey community, but this is a a very common thing. And it's called sourcing. And many distilleries do this when they're new until they have their own age product. And some brands do this forever uh, for reasons of volume or so I just started mentioning. I'm like, have you ever heard of Jefferson's Reserve? Have you ever heard of? High West, have you ever heard of Whistle Pig? Anybody know what's in yes. Happy Van Winkle? You know, so I just like went, I said, it's actually sourced material is, is some estimations are in almost 50% of American whiskey. Of course, of course it is for mm-hmm. the reasons this person you think, stated. You think it's only 50% or you think it's higher? You know, that's all I, I could find because I wanted yeah. to have like, you know, I'll, like I'll go re-research to, you know how sometimes when you're like, you're you're on you're like doing the Kermit the Frog typing and you're yeah. like wait I better make sure I mean I know my facts but let me just make sure yeah. I know my facts yeah. I wasn't really typing like that because I found I find this hilarious like someone in my the person who runs our social media was very upset by this and I'm like oh my god nobody that actually drinks whiskey is gonna think hold any water to the arguments right. are hyst- I mean I fi- found them hysterical and so I'm you know just said like yeah I just do some research so no you're probably right there's probably yeah. a lot more than 50%. But, you know, I mean, if you sit there, though, really, and think through the list of brands that we know that source, I said, you know, I hate to mention, you know, Bullet, you know, forever, uh, you know, like, there are some brands that their whole life cycle, it's been sourced. And And there is nothing wrong with sourcing. No, not at all. But I feel like all the brands that people have a hard on for, like, I'm sure if people in that group, who maybe don't know about uncle nearest but they do drink whiskey and they have a hard on for places like like mictors or like whistle yes. pig oh i mentioned yeah. them too that's why i said whistle West, pig. i'm like hey whistle pig brands you know, yeah. yes exactly and yeah. these are award-winning <laughs> yeah and then again they're like uh the guy so the person posts when i say the guy i just that to me that's just like anonymous random person you know the yeah. guy from, from new england yeah um you know, the guy posts, oh, and it says they've won more than 50 awards in two years. But how is that possible? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, gee, I don't know. You have to actually send in your samples with your distillery license. And this shit's pretty well vetted. And we didn't award ourselves 50 awards. I don't know. You win them because you send in the juice. Like, What? <laughs> so now, there's but... constantly think these competitions going on all over the place. Uh, I know, mean, probably constantly. every every week, week you can probably yeah. find a couple. Yeah, but I I found anyway. it so yeah. funny that when you know the person who does our social media was like, "Hey guys, just make sure you're not liking this page if you haven't like read through it." And fair enough. Um, if I come across something that's Uncle Nearest, of course I'm going to like it. You know, uh, but it's all about bashing us and hating on us. And when I read it through i was like oh my god don't worry about this page this page is absolute silliness so but then i thought you know maybe this person really doesn't understand the whole discussion of age statements you know so age statements are there just to have truth in in labeling but also you don't have to put an age statement on a bottle uh you know, you it's not necessary. So we don't have to say anything about the age of our whiskey. And we wouldn't, I mean, you you know, other parts of that labeling is, you know, if you say we distill this on this property in this place, 
it had better be distilled right there where you say so, because otherwise that's a federal law you're violating. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so things like that help to preserve truth and labeling. But with age statements, you know, people who get caught up in age statements, it's just, you know, I think there's a lot of ridiculousness to it. Um, You know, of course, those of us that have been drinking whiskey for a long time feel that, whiskey aged longer is superior and better. And I think we've had to part with that thought process in the past 10 years with a lot of, you know, brands dropping their age statements because they don't have the age stock Mm -hmm. that they used to and really having to go, okay, so we can't, we don't have that age anymore, but how can we keep consistency in our flavor? And you can do it, you know, so. And while I feel like, an age statement can be a useful tool for setting expectations before you've tried something. It's, it also can work against you because some of the stuff that's coming out now, um, specifically from, I want to say new riff, we've discussed new riff and recently mm-hmm. who is putting out a four year mm-hmm. bourbon. That is just unbelievable. You'd never guess it was a four year bourbon by traditional standards. Um, so yeah, age statement, I think isn't, it's just one, uh, it's, it's just, just one element. element. It's yeah, one exactly. Factor, it's not a guarantee you know, of quality. One thing I like no, about new riff though, is that they put the distilled date on the neck of the bottle. Yeah. yeah. So it tells you when it was distilled. So you can do a quick math and figure out how old math. it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also depends on where you're physically located. You know, yeah. I mean, there is a reason why the some of the greatest bourbon comes out of the territories of Kentucky and Tennessee, Southwest Ohio, Indiana, because, you know, it, it's just humidity, temperature changes, you know, if you're using local grains, you know, things like that. I mean, there's so many factors to get caught up on age statements is absurd. What you do want to always make sure is that, you know, you read your bottle, read it well. If you if it says, oh, we're, you know, this local craft distillery and it turns out they're sourcing MGP, perhaps you're buying it because you think everything was sourced and made right there. Mm-hmm. And and it isn't. That's not necessarily a bad thing either. Hopefully they're putting their own barrels back. I mean, we've been putting thousands and thousands of barrels back, you know, you know, for a long time. Um, so just like High West did and, and other distilleries that will eventually you know, it's their own juice in their bottle, you know, mm-hmm. um, hopefully you don't get flavor drift. That's something you have to manage, but it really, you're just looking to make sure that if someone is telling a story about their spirit, that it's a true story, um, or take it with a grain of salt. You know, if someone just, you know, it will say on the label, if it was not distilled at that place, or if it was, you know, you can simply, you can just Google a brand and it will say sourced <clears throat> material, and you can just use your common sense and go, well, if a brand's only been around for two years and they have a 14-year whiskey, they're not lying. <laughs> they're sourcing. Mm-hmm. We've never said that we yeah. physically steal the whiskey. I mean, this is just common practice in our industry. Right. So, yeah. I don't think – and I might be stating the obvious here, but I don't think the American whiskey drinker or the bourbon drinker gets as hung up on age statements as your scotch whiskey drinker. I mean – I think that's I think in my experience um, it's the diehard older bourbonites that really get their panties in a bunch over it. I have experienced it way too many times 
um, when I was working, you know, in the bourbon industry in the South Ohio, Northern Kentucky area, you know, there were dudes that were like, oh, if it's not at least 10 years, I don't touch it. And I was like, well, that's awesome because that saves a lot of whiskey for me that's really affordable, <laughs> priced well, tastes amazing. Cool. You keep doing that, my brother. That's fine. Um, you know, it, it that's that's just having, to me, a narrow-minded approach to a product and, you know, being married to one thought process. Sure, in the 1980s and 90s, you could get a freaking 20-year bourbon for 20 bucks, you know, like, I don't know. This is not the world anymore. This is just not reality anymore. So you just can't, and you can't bash these brands for making a a change like that. So you have got two options. The brand, let's say Smith's bourbon, you know, has had access to 14 year, 12 year bourbon for decades. They don't have access to that anymore. They have their, uh, their, their, the people that want to drink and imbibe in their bourbon has, uh, you know, they're looking at like times 20, let's say. So instead of having to roll out, you know, a million bottles, they have to roll out 10 million bottles a year. This has happened to our brands in a very short period of time. So there's two ways they can go about this. Three ways, actually. They can go, well, we're going to have to triple the cost and that's going to be to you. So it's going to cost you three times the amount because we can't make the volume that we should to meet all of this demand. So, all right, dude, you can pay three times the amount for your $20 bourbon. The other option is to make it less available. It becomes allocated. You're not going to see it on the shelves. You're not going to have access to your favorite $20 bourbon. Or they can drop their age statements and do their job that they do very well, they hire people for. You've got distillers, you've got barrel house managers, you've got master blenders, you've got whiskey production managers that know how to keep the consistency even though they are not using necessarily all of the aged product. And they can keep it at about the same price and continue to fill those shelves for you. So you get to have, example of that. right, you get to have nearly the same product. Maybe there's tiny nuances that the average person doesn't pick up, you know, but it's, it's the same product for about the same price and, and you can keep getting it. Why isn't that a good thing? I think it is. All perception. Agreed. Yeah. So having said that, <laughs> let's talk about beer. Beer. Beer? Okay. It is my whiskey segment tonight, and I'm going to talk about beer. Distiller's <gasps> beer? I'm going to talk about Coors Banquet beer, in fact. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this went in a direction I was not expecting. So every time I tried to put together a whiskey to match my my feelings and experience and nostalgia with Journey, I just couldn't get anything to fit. I initially wanted to do Buffalo Trace's bourbon cream, and that was all about Steve Perry. It was all about Steve Perry's voice and 
just, I think, you know, a modern approach to Journey. Do we really need them? Like, they're so light and poppy and, you know, kind of what happened to them in their journey. Nobody needs bourbon cream, but it's still fucking delicious. It's still got <laughs> bourbon in it. It's still smooth as hell. It's still awesome. But especially sure, the Buffalo Trace. Yeah. No, especially, especially the, the nobody Buffalo Trace. does. To me, there's only one bourbon cream in the world. Yeah. Whiskey cream, period. I have a you bottle can, of it right now. I was lucky to find so one. So good. You can so get good. rid of, what's it called? What's the hoo-ha everybody drinks? The Irish crap. You can get rid of that. And I'll keep oh, Bailey's. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bailey's. Forget it. No. So then I was watching a bunch. I watched a documentary that was filmed in, it was either 79 or 80, uh, which was made it even more amazing about Journey <laughs> Their following journey um, on like, I think six or almost a year on the road of touring was so cool. And I just kept coming back to beer. So um, I chose Coors Banquet Beer. If you don't know it, it's because you're not old enough. So just Google it. Um, it's <laughs> it, the story is so great. So there was a time in our country that beer drinkers were so obsessed with Coors Banquet beer that it, Yingling. It, if, you, if you had the, well, yeah, if you had the internet, you would see it all over the internet. There was a yeah. black market for Coors Banquet. Like, I'm not even kidding because it was only distributed in 13 U.S. states. So, and it was like the Western portion of the U.S. So they claimed that they couldn't make enough beer and that's why it was only distributed at the time, and this is the 70s, to 13 states, right? Um, sure. Their unpasteurized brew demanded being distributed exclusively via re refrigerated trucks, or it would spoil. So that was the mystique of it. <laughs> okay. Mm. And so East Coasters started smuggling cases upon cases of the beer after they would go to, like, the Midwest or out West. Um, and in 1977, Coors even took out an ad in the Washington Post saying, please don't buy our beer. <laughs> they were, <laughs> they oh, were saying, God. if you are in certain, like in the Washington Post, you know, like they're talking to the East, the Northeast. Yeah, East yeah, Coast, yeah. Right. They're saying, um, in any area where the Washington Post was regularly distributed, you're getting it off the black market and it could be mishandled or prone to becoming watery. <laughs> Yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, people are cutting the beer and <laughs> yeah. rebottling it. <laughs> so, so um, then Smokey and the Bandit happened with Mr. Burt Reynolds as a legendary trucker. Um, he was willing to risk his life uh, to illegally smuggle crates of cores back to Georgia. Do you remember this movie, Ed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So then by the late 70s, all of a sudden, they were able to distribute it to all 50 states after the movie. <laughs> so who knows oh, what the man. real reason was. But I remember, and this is why I chose, this is how this all came about. I have this very distinct memory of my father, who was a very special human being. Um being super excited, he shows up one summer to my grandparents, and I was visiting in upstate New York and going, yeah, look what I got. And that's literally how he talked. 
He's got a <laughs> cigarette hanging out of his mouth and his cut-off jean shorts on and no shirt because for some reason in the 70s, people didn't wear, men didn't wear shirts ever. Um, and he's got this crate of Coors Banquet and my grandfather flipped out and it was like he just brought home, I don't know, like bottles Liquid of lantern gold. that were free. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know for us, you know? So they were flipping <laughs> right. out over it. And so my dad and my grandfather sat outside on the lawn chairs and like plowed through this entire milk crate of who knows where he got these beers from of these cores of beers listening to the rock radio station, you know? And I Mm -hmm. remember um, it was all journey and foreigner and all that stuff at the time. And I was sitting with them drinking my sodas, like trying to be like one of the guys. Yeah. And uh, it's it was a very <laughs> very distinct memory about him oh, acting wow. like. And I, do you know what? I had no idea what the relevance was of that beer until yesterday when I researched this. I was like, oh my god! I just thought he was a <laughs> lunatic. Like beer is beer. What are you talking about, man? Uh, but apparently, he he was in the race car business for a very long time. He was in a somewhere that sold it. And so he just loaded up a milk crate and put it in the back of his car, and he illegally brought it over state lines. Oh, man. <laughs> banquet beer. So there you go. It's awesome. That's wow. My- Can I say, this, this is a first. This is a MRW Metal Rock and Whiskey first. And I'm glad you hear that. Because you know what? I don't. I, there is nothing wrong with Coors Banquet. I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> Coors Banquet is good shit, man. It's delicious. Was, I'm telling you, one that, those come in like the stubby bottles, right? Stubby bottles, yeah. Like the yeah. Uh, like the yeah. uh, Budweiser Copper Lager comes in now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Coors Original, fantastic stuff. That was like My, that, those were like it was like Coors Banquet and Schlitz. If yes. it wasn't like regional Schlitz. beers, because in New York we had. Upstate New York, if you're from upstate New York, you know Jenny Cream Ale. If I say mm-hmm. that, and, and if you say it in a room, anyone from upstate New York will go, what? Jenny Cream Ale. So it's spelled Genesee, but we call yeah. it Jenny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Never yeah heard that, of it. Such a great story about the, about, you know, transporting it cold, you know, yes. because you think about where they, you think about yeah. where they are, they're in, they're in Colorado and yeah. they had local distribution yeah. there and for cores to be on the East Coast. When you had Yingling and Budweiser and, yep. you know, PBR, you, you, you couldn't find it. PBR, yeah. My but, feeling, uh, yeah. yeah, my feeling would be just genius marketing, capitalizing mm-hmm. on the fact that they probably had a limited production facility yeah. and they could only turn out mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they had to come up with a story like, oh, because it was the quality. Yeah, that's don't right. You know, <laughs> the quality. Brilliant. And I love that it was, I love that Smokey and the Bandit was like the pivotal moment for Coors Banquet. <laughs> that makes the story so much better. Oh my God. I love it. This, that movie anyway. Oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to rewatch that movie. I haven't seen it in a million years. Well, there you have it. I hope you're all pleasantly surprised. Always the first time for everything. Yep. Beer segment. <laughs> and metal rock and whiskey. <laughs> didn't didn't we do wine? Didn't I do wine once? Was that on that that might have been on one that never aired, or was it? No, I think we did. Oh air. no, because I remember I had to edit the hell out of that episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> you did do wine. Yeah, you got you got wine. That's like, right. That's, that's why you got, yeah, I got, got wine. Uh, yeah, you got I didn't eat up. dinner. Yeah, it just come from a tasting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I thought someone else did beer once though. Or maybe oh maybe I'm thinking of Fireball. I know Matt has featured beard as in the, his uh, what I'm drinking tonight a couple of times. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I usually try to do a beer with a whiskey. I usually do two together. Well, I was going to do that. That's totally what I was going to do. But just the story of Coors Banquet was enough. I was just like, this is. Oh, plus the yeah. memory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the tie-in. There <laughs> yeah, we go. Yeah, my dad with the damn crate of beer. <laughs> Freaking milk cart. And Listen we to the journey. And my grandfather's face, like. His face was, I can still see it in my head, was priceless. But I mean, these stand out because I didn't see my dad very often. So my memories of him back then are very distinct because they were very rare. But yeah, they they acted like, I don't know. It was like the best thing that had ever happened. <laughs> well, that's kind of like uh, around here. There's a Wisconsin beer called Spotted Cow that everyone in northern Illinois goes goes crazy for when everyone and everyone goes to Wisconsin, they pick up cases of spotted cow and bring it down South. I don't particularly care for it. So I don't know what the hubbub is about. Same, well, same with Yingling too. <laughs> Yingling too. Oh, Yingling yeah. is in, uh, you can get it in Indiana. Everyone crosses the border into Indiana to go buy cases. of. It's Yingling. not good. Like, like I grew up with just, that crap. It's not mm, good. It's not worth it. People. It's just whatever. It's just funny how like, just, Continuing this conversation before we get into the to the timeline here, uh, what people think of as the all American beers aren't really all American beers. So you talk like Bud, Coors, Yingling. Yeah. Um, they're all those guys were from Germany. Oh, Adolf yeah, Bush beer originated. Adolf Coors, yeah. 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 But you know the yeah, real all American beers are the original microbreweries. You got Sierra Nevada. Right. Sam Adams, those are the real all-American beers. I've had this conversation with a customer or two. I drink good all-American Budweiser. I'm like, no, dude, the guy's no, German. Not. Guy's especially German, not now. Dude. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no. no. It's no. all especially in now. Not now. It's all Belgium. Exactly. It's all Belgium. Yeah. What was the one yeah. that said, like, like, fully croisoned or whatever? They use croisoning as that old style, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Stella Artois and Budweiser are no yeah. our sister now. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. All right. All Let's right. Let's get on to the topic. <laughs> Westbound and down, 18 wheels are rolling. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm Westbound, just watch old bandit run. All right. So tonight's topic is journey. So we're going to take a journey into journey. <laughs> see what I did there? I see. <laughs> so, this band is amazing because they were founded the year I was born. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. In San Francisco, one of my favorite cities in this country, uh, they were uh, founded by a uh, So, Herbie what year was that, Herbert. Sailor? 1973. <laughs> Same Thanks, year as The Ed. Exorcist, by the way. For those who don't know what year you were born. <laughs> I was trying to get past that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's why I was like, Herbie Herbert. Herbie Herbert. So, once again, with the names, which is becoming quickly my favorite part of the show, there was a manager named Herbie Herbert, and he was the previous... Whose parents hated him, by the way. 
imagine when the movie Herbie came out. Oh my god. Oh god. Uh, okay. So he was the former manager for Santana. And uh, <laughs> the band was formerly known as the Golden Gate Rhythm Section. And they were supposed to be just like a group of session musicians for the Bay Area. Um, you know, like for artists to use if they're recording or people coming uh-huh. in to record, they're just session artists. Um, but it didn't last long. Uh, so the founding members were lead guitarist Neil Schoen. Um, he's formerly of Santana, actually, and Greg Raleigh on keyboards and lead vocals. And then their bassist was Ross Valerie, and they had a rhythm guitarist, George Ticker. And they were both formerly of Frumius. <laughs> Best band name ever. I think, okay, I think our next okay. our next bracket has to be. It has to be band, band names. Yes. So, what is that? Let me try to get this out. Hold on. Breathe. Okay. They were called Rumius Bandersnatch. Yes. <laughs> Bandersnatch. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. It's so amazing. It sounds so <laughs> British. Like it be. No. Rumius Bandersnatch. <laughs> and then there was. Know. Wait. I'm, I'm, it's not over. Then there was Prairie Prince, who was formerly. Of the tubes that served as drummer, Prairie Prince. Alrighty then. The tubes. Um, <laughs> the tubes. Sure. The tubes. Yeah. Why not? Um, so after an unsuccessful radio contest to come up with a new name for the group, really? Uh, after her bandersnatch and the tubes. Okay. Um, it was actually a roadie, John Villanueva, who suggested the name Journey. Dun dun dun. Um, you're welcome, Ed. You don't have to put that sound <laughs> for you. Uh, Journey's first a public appearance was at the Winterland Ballroom, and it was New Year's Eve, 1973. Right after that, though, good old Prince Prairie left the group because he needed to reunite with the tubes. I doubt there is a day in that motherfucker's life where he doesn't regret that move. <laughs> Dumbass. Uh, he was replaced by a British drummer, Ainsley Dunbar, who had recently worked with Frank Zappa. Okay, so after the first of what we will see will be many band reorganizations, on February 5th, 1974, the new lineup made their debut at the Great American Music Hall, where they happened to secure a recording contract with Columbia Records. And they released their first self-titled studio album in 1975. Shortly after, rhythm guitarist Tickner left the band and they cut their second album, Look Into the Future, in 1976. Look Into the Future. Will we have more lineup changes? I don't know. Mm. (laughs) Look Into the Future. (laughs) I see more lineup changes in your future. Will we have another Bandersnatch or won't we? (laughs) Will we have a hit record? Maybe. Maybe. We'll it's see. a long, long journey. Yes. Uh, but anyway, neither album, their first two albums achieved, you know, significant sales. So Shown, Valley, and Dunbar, um, they they tried to up their game. They all took singing lessons and to try to add vocal harmonies to uh, Raleigh's lead. And then the following year, 
uh, saw the release of their album Next, which contained shorter tracks with more vocals and also field, uh, featured Neil Schoen as lead singer on two of the tracks. That's pretty awesome that they did that, though. I think that's I think that's really cool that they were like, this isn't working. And then and they just try to up their game and, and learn more and work harder. I think that's pretty yep. cool. So Journey's album sales actually did not improve. So Columbia Records requested they change their musical style and add a frontman with whom keyboardist Greg Raleigh could share lead vocal duties. They hired Robert Fleischman and moved to a more pop style of music, similar to that of Foreigner in Boston. Journey toured with Fleischman in 77, and together the band wrote the hit song Wheel in the Sky. Awesome song. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. dis- despite the newfound success, management differences resulted in Fleischman leaving the band. Management rearing its ugly head it- as usual. Oh, you wrote a hit song. This isn't working. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Just okay. like, it's like, play this style of music with this guy. Oh, wait. Yeah. The- He's got to oh, get out of here. You got a hit record out of that? It totally worked? Nope. Get yeah. out. Okay. So by late 77, Journey hired a new lead singer. We all know him, Steve Perry, uh, as well as a new producer, Roy Thomas Baker. Uh, Baker was hired specifically because of his layered sound approach that had worked so well uh, when he was working with Queen, who he had worked with just before uh, taking on Journey. So with their new lead singer and producer, Journey released their fourth album, Infinity, in 1978. Uh which actually ended up becoming their first uh, certified platinum album, along with their hit song, Wheel in the Sky. Journey set on a new path with a more mainstream sound, making their highest chart success to date. All right. And um, despite that success, you know, they continue on more band changes. In late 1978, drummer Dunbar was replaced by Steve Smith, who like many other successful rock drummers, um, had a background in jazz. How many times have we heard this story? All these jazz drummers get into rock and just kick ass. It's nice to have a um, Steve Smith among all these other names, though. (laughs) right? It is nice. (laughs) But you know what, Ed? I think that is indicative of the time as well, Mm -hmm. if you think about it. So these guys would have started playing music in the 60s, right? True. Yeah. So I think... If you took band in school or you took private lessons to learn or whatever, or any super talented musicians, you're going to be impressed by much younger would have either been blues or jazz. I think those were your only options for like musicians um, getting into someone else's musicality. So I also think that's why many of them are better, (laughs) better musicians. I mean... Jazz is like, they say, if you learn jazz, you can do anything after that. It is like the best, especially, especially like for a drummer. I think it's the, the best. styles of music. Yeah, it's, 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 it's yes. the best foundation yes. for any style of music you want to play. I mean, yeah. friend of the show and, you know, newest mm-hmm. collaborator on the network, Chris Viner from One Particles yeah. Collide, has his background in jazz. That's how he had his foundation. And lo and behold, he's a great fucking drummer. Yeah. It works. It for works. Sure. Yeah. Indeed. And in 1979, Journey recorded their next album, Evolution, which gave the band their first Billboard Hot 120 Top 20 single, Lovin', Touchin', Squeezin', which ended up at number 16. And what and, a freaking um, song. Oh. oh, yeah. 
Everyone can sing that one. Oh my god. Yeah. So if you no. have you ever been to a Journey show live when they play that and every single person does the na 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 na. It's the it's just a really cool moment. I love that song. Sounds like my Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) My pillow. My pillow. All right, and their next (laughs) album, which would be 1980s Departure, reached number eight on the album charts. And on this uh, world tour, they happened to record a live album called Captured. And um, soon after that, more changes, the departure of Greg Raleigh. Raleigh recommended, though, a replacement, um, pianist Jonathan Kane of The Babies, as a permanent replacement. Thank so, God. Anyway. Can I just say right now, thank God. Yes. There are a few moments, like definitely Steve Perry for sure, but also thank God for Jonathan Kane. So that happened to be a good move, especially in this time of uh, music, because Kane replaced Raleigh's Hammond B3 organ with his own synthesizers. Um, And that set up the band, of course, for a brand new decade in which they would see their greatest musical success yet. Kane on board, um, the band began writing material, new material that would eventually lead up to Journey's biggest studio album, Escape. Recording sessions began in April of 81 and lasted until the middle of June. That's actually quite a long time for this era. If -hmm. you go back to a lot of the shows where we've covered bands of this era, they're usually out in a few weeks, done and done and done. So, I think that we will find out this is indicative of a few things. Um, So Escape was released in July of 81, and immediately the album became a mainstream success. It has since then sold nine times platinum, went to number one on the album charts later the year that it was released, and included three top ten hits. Who's Crying Now, Don't Stop Believing," and Open Arms. Whoa. Uh, I mean, those three songs, especially Don't Stop Believing." Mm-hmm. Good God. Um, the last is Journey's highest charting single to date, staying at number two for six consecutive weeks and ranking at number 34 on Billboard's 1982 year-end Hot 100. MTV videotaped um, one of their sold-out shows in Houston in 1981 in front of over 20,000 fans. So to capitalize on their success at the time, the band recorded radio commercials for Budweiser and unfortunately sold rights to their likenesses and music for use in two video games. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they were Atari games. That's why I say it. Oh, I have that Atari game. I have the Journey game. Oh, have it? Yes. You yes. did. <laughs> it was awesome. I, I love that. And it was awesome. In, in, I don't in remember. In different levels, you were playing a different member of the band in the different levels. <laughs> you know, you were either Steve Perry or Neil yeah. or whatever. I don't know why I don't remember. Oh, my being gosh. Okay. I don't know. I'm sure it was probably. Anyway, awesome. I had it and I had a lot of fun with it. 
Games were a lot simpler back then. They were a lot simpler. <laughs> I mean, good old Pac-Man and Pitfall. They don't uh, make them like that anymore. But of course, with like many other bands, with success comes criticism. In 1983, Rolling Stone, in their infinite Your wisdom, favorite. as we've seen time and time again, uh, Rolling Stone Record Guide gave each of the band's albums only one star. Can you believe that? It just proves what a bunch of pieces oh of shit my they are. Gosh. Like, you're going to give this album with Don't Stop Believing on it one fucking star when it is still one of the number one classic rock songs still top choice top five choice i believe around the world for karaoke right everybody knows don't stop believing like come here bunch oh of and idiots. it gets better uh the writer dave marsh uh said that journey was a dead end for san francisco area rock <laughs> he would yeah okay yeah okay you idiots he would later he would later <laughs> would anoint escape as one of the worst number one albums of all time. I hope this guy is rotting somewhere in a fucking gutter with like new young shitty bands kicking mud in his face as they walk by from San Francisco. That's harsh. Not really. Anyway, despite that criticism, Journey's next album, Frontiers, in 1983, continued their commercial success, and it reached number two on the album charts, selling nearly six million copies. The album generated four top 40 hits, Separate Ways, my favorite Journey song, um, which reached number eight, Faithfully, which reached number 12, Center My Love, and After the Fall, both which reached number 23. By then, Journey had become one of the top touring and recording bands in the world. And during subsequent stadium tour, the band contracted with the NFL Films to record a video document documentary of their life on the road uh, front, called Frontiers and Beyond. And scenes from this documentary uh, shot at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia uh, had more than 80,000 fans in attendance. That's the documentary I was watching. Today. Yeah, and that's those were the kind of uh, audiences they were dr- drawing at this time. That again, they were. But they, they were total bands. shit band. They were gonna go nowhere. Oh yeah, this they're the end of San like Francisco years. rock. I yeah. just wanna, I just wanna know what they considered San Francisco area rock at this time. Because I mean, like, I mean, you, Joplin. You, I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, you're talking obviously the thrash thing is going on. Yeah, we had a was it Metallica and they, yeah. they probably didn't even they weren't even on no they on weren't Rolling even on Stones the radar, radar God, no. at no. the time. Yeah, uh, so I'm like I'm trying to think of what else. Who the, who the fuck? I'm trying I'm trying to think because there has to be, if, for them to say that there has to be somebody that was that much better than them. No, at the they time. obviously no, they, San Francisco. They, nobody no, remembers. No, they riled. Either. They riled against success. Success. They felt yeah. that if. If bands became commercially successful and were wildly successful, that they were shit. That's literally was their whole thing. It was, we're going to tell you what bands are good, and we're going to tell you what albums to buy, and that's what you have to follow. We're going to be the ones to break the bands and the albums to you. I get that. I get that 100%, but I would just love to know what their their idea or their sphere of San Francisco area rock would be at that time. 
Yeah. Where Ed makes a great the top bands. Where Ed makes a great point where thrash it's there, but it's not on the map yet for that. Okay. So here, let me tell you, let me tell you what their number one album. So Rolling Stone said that the number one album of 1983 was Van Morrison's inarticulate speech of the heart. Number two, Pink Floyd, the final cut. Okay. Number three, Rolling Stones. Number four, Talking Heads. Number five, Bob, Bob Dylan. Paul Simon. Jackson Brown. X. Okay. Aztec so camera. These writers Elvis at Costello. The t- I have no problem with the any time of those artists, old, probably pretend, older guys who have grown up on this these older musicians. I think mm. they're just pretentious fucks. I think that's, that's what I don't it know. is. That's what it is, Ed, because I'm sure that those people that were putting that list together were older. Because I'm thinking like be. Paul Paul Simon, 1983. Yeah, Paul Stones, Simon, Bob 1983, Dylan, Rolling Stones. Yeah, Bob Stones? Dylan in 1983 yeah. goes Give me a break. It. Yeah. I'm like, come on! Like the shit they're putting out in '83 is probably nowhere close to the shit they were putting out before that. I mean, they also had in there, you know, they had Talking Heads and the Police. Okay, but to police, me, I could look at, yeah. but putting the Talking Heads and the Police in there with the other choices to me says pretentious. That's yes. what it is. It's like remember when hardcore came out and hardcore got really popular, and then it was mathcore. And if you didn't like mathcore, the other shit, it was all bullshit because it wasn't like, you know. It was pretend. It was being pretentious. It was well. Mm-hmm. These riffs are more complex, and the musicality is better. Blah blah. I'm like, we're talking about hardcore music. Like <laughs> kids, just like you're venting. You're literally, you know, rah 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 rah. <sighs> Drop D. Venting. Like I will say, I love that seller knows what math core is. Of course I know what math core is. <laughs> of course I know what math core is. I don't know. To me, that's all pretentious wankers. Wankers. <laughs> Those are Britishism for you. <laughs> Wankers. Wankers. Uh, okay. All right. So, here? Uh, I think we're in 1983. Uh, so we're actually in the period of 1983 to 1987. Uh, and this is actually pivotal in the band's history. First of all, uh, I was born in 84. Uh, so after the Frontier Stadium tour, uh, Journey decided to take some time off. Lead singer Steve Perry Guitarist Neil Sean both Shone. pursued Sean. I like to say Sean. Sean. <laughs> Who knows? Sean. Both pursued solo projects between 82 and 85. Uh, the band released two songs that were previously intended for Frontiers that ended up on movie soundtracks. Ask the Lonely and Only the Young. You it's did. tough to say those back Back to back, I don't know. I know. Ask the Lonely and Only the Only young, young, which reached number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. So, when Journey finally returned to record their album Raised on Radio in 1986, uh, bass player Ross Valerie and drummer Steve Smith were fired because uh, their names were not cool enough, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, from the band for what's said to be musical and professional differences. But you know they couldn't have a Steve Smith in the band. No, it just didn't work out. Yeah, not exactly rat skeets. Although Valerie <laughs> should have stuck this guy oh, in there. Right. I don't know. <laughs> so there were two vacant spots now. The little known bassist Randy Jackson. Yo, dog. And, uh, and bassist Bob Glaub. There you go, Glaub. That worked. Yeah, and established drummer Larry London. Again. 
handle the two vacant slots. Uh, so the album went multi-platinum, selling over two million copies. Not too shabby. Um, it also produced 20 singles. One being an all-time favorite of mine, which is I'll Be Alright Without You. Uh, so they went on a huge tour, and they were being heavily featured on MTV at the time. But apparently, Steve Perry couldn't or didn't want to keep touring with the band. So they canceled the rest of the tour, and again, Journey was on hiatus. So there's a lot of, uh, I think it's a good time to talk about the friction between Steve Perry and the band. Um, you know, <clears throat> no one ever really knows what happens because we weren't there. And unless you've seen them all come together, uh, a great example of this would be Judas Priest. Judas Priest has come together with mostly the original members and said, here's the shit that went down. We all agree on it now, and we're back together, and it's cool now. But they're able to tell the story of what happened and verifying the details. We don't really have an opportunity to do that when the bands don't come back together to tell the story together. Yeah, that's a rarity when so, that happens. Yeah, you know, they usually they never come back together, you know. Or later, another later. Good, Roger Waters. And, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, we've seen it happen time yeah. and time again. Yep. And no, and, and it, even in recent interviews, Steve Perry will say, made a statement, I never really felt like I was a part of the band. And the other guys, you know, scoffed at it, literally. You know, <laughs> how can he not feel like he's part of the band? He was literally controlling everything. And it's like, dude, can you just say like, oh, I'm sorry you felt that way, you know? All right. So I think they're bar- probably all assholes is, is kind of where I'm at with this. Um, so I don't like to say... Steve Perry was the asshole or the other guys were the asshole and poor Steve Perry was the victim. I think it's probably there's, there's truth in a little bit of all the pudding. Um, so at this period during this hiatus, Columbia record to generate income that was needed so badly, apparently decided to release three journey compilations, including the 1988 greatest hits album, which still remains the band's best selling record ever. It continues to sell 500,000 to a million copies per year currently. Okay. I can see that. So, yeah. Rolling Stone, stick it up your ass, and I hope it hurts. By December of 2008, it was the sixth best selling greatest hits package in the United States. Okay. There you go. That's success. Um, so, okay, let's fast forward to 1995. The star lineup. Uh, reunited and released Trial by Fire. When You Love a Woman was the hit off the album, and the album was actually nominated for a Grammy that year. So it looks like things are good. So, anyway, the band planned a tour to support their album Trial by Fire, but um, unfortunately uh, they had a little bad luck, or more specifically Steve Perry had a little bad luck when he discovered he had a degenerative bone condition and could not perform without hip replacement surgery. Um, Sounds like Eddie Van Halen. Um, And he waited to undergo this procedure a really long time um, and later announced he was unfortunately permanently leaving the band. And in 1988, Shonen Kane decided to seek a new lead singer, at which point drummer Steve Smith left the band as well or should we say again yeah (laughs) 
And I think that is where we will leave it for now. Well, sort of. Well, their story goes from the typical late-stage band ending story or getting back together and boring to something pretty incredible. So in the summer of 2007, Jonathan Cain and Neil Schoen began a YouTube search for a new lead singer. They initially auditioned a dude named Jeremy Hunsicker, they probably chose him for his name, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> of the Journey tribute band Frontiers. Good and name. They co- very good name. Yes. They mm-hmm. co-wrote uh, the song Never Walk Away for their next album. But for some reason or another, Jeremy didn't work out. So they got back on YouTube and continued their search. And then they came across a video of a young guy singing karaoke. And he wasn't just singing it. If you closed your eyes, it could almost be freaking Steve Perry. Oh, can I interject something here? Sure. Um, I've heard there's a lot of a lot of it goes around that it's a he was singing karaoke, but he was actually in a cover band. He wasn't a yeah, karaoke was. singer. That was yeah. that was the first. I was about to get there. You you didn't let me. Oh, get there. sorry. So that was the first thing they came across. So not only was he in a Journey cover band, but he had also won like the American Idol version in his country. He was in a band at the time. He was very, he was a, he was a, an established musician in his country, in the Philippines. Um, so his name was and is Arnel Pineda. He was a Filipino singer, as I mentioned. They reached out to Pineda, and originally he thought it was a joke, a scam. Someone was trying to scam him. He was like, yep, smart no. man. Bullshit. Well, of course. Like, hey, we're the actual journey. We found you and come on to California. Yeah. He was like, oh, fuck yourselves. So, in <laughs> fact, it was the real guys from Journey. And they wanted to send him a plane ticket to fly to the U.S. to do a real audition. I'm going to strongly encourage you to watch the movie Don't Stop Believing: Every Man's Journey. And it's about Pineda's journey, well, to Journey. Uh, and it's incredible. So oh, it, it just—it's such yeah. an amazing. It's an amazing movie and it's an amazing story. He is currently the uh, lead singer for Journey. He here's the the rub though. He sounds so much like Steve Perry. Um, if I was Steve Perry, I would be like, damn, they got a guy who <laughs> sounds almost just like me like that has got to hurt you know but um so they're currently touring they're currently making albums um arnel pineda is not only a phenomenal vocalist but he's an incredible front man he's got so much energy and i think just really re-energized the rest of the guys in the band so we're gonna leave this here right now though because we have to do an album battle and my friends that you're going to have to wait for until next week. So in the meantime, watch the film. Don't stop believing every man's journey. Listen up 
on your journey records. We're not going to tell you which albums we're going to battle yet. We're going to make you wait. And I'm going to be curious to see, and maybe we'll ask this question on Instagram, Matt, if you wouldn't mind, what albums you guys think we're going to battle next week? I think I it might that. get heated. It might be a heated battle. I have a feeling it could get a little bit. Heated. I think it could. It could possibly. Yeah. And wait. We'll see. But I will definitely do that. Uh, and as always, uh, thank you for sticking around. We hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we always do. And as much as we hope you do every week. Do, do, do. Uh, do, do, do. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Metal Rock Whiskey. And we also have a super cool Facebook group under Spirit of Rock Podcast, uh, where you can find all of our other great shows on this network. Love on the Rocks. Pretty good for a girl. Uh, Wrestling with Respect. Wrestling with Respect. Yes, and our new show ding, ding, ding. that we have on our network, which is the Unstoppable Rock Podcast, featuring yes. friends from when particles collide, Chris yes. and Sasha. Congratulations, yes. Chris and Sasha. We are so excited to have you join the network. Um, they have been huge supporters of ours and friends um, and have provided our theme song since day one of the show. Uh, and they're just both kick-ass. Their journey is really cool. Their story is really, really cool. So I really encourage you guys to listen to that. Um, their husband and wife team, who are incredible musicians, who travel full-time following mm-hmm. The Rock. Yeah, and they have always been part of our family here. Yes. And now they can share all of that with you, which we're super, super excited about. Uh, And of course you can follow us individually. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at the whiskey obsessor. That is whiskey. Save the E sailor. You can find me a sailor retro all over the internet places. And they can find me at bourbon geek on Instagram as always. And uh, Hey guys. If you like us, like us, like us, if you like us, <laughs> or even if you love us, especially if you can say, especially if you love, between us, love like us, like, please, yeah. we ask you tweets. hit that subscribe button on your podcast God, feed of choice. So we can make sure you don't speaking lessons. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the spirit of podcast, spirit of podcast. <laughs> spirit of rock podcast network rather that's where you will find all of our shows and uh tune in next week for another episode of metal rock and whiskey fuck you lars or (laughs) fuck you rolling stone yeah i would say rolling stone in this case bye arrivederci arrivederci fucking fancy i love you